Hi, I'm Allison Hare, a former corporate executive on a quest to live, work, and play in full alignment and helping you design your best life on your own terms. Welcome to the Late Learner Podcast, where we explore game-changing and proven approaches that just plain work better for you. Thank God you found me, right? So what are we late learning today? Well, today we are talking about a crisis that has touched almost 80% of women, and that is burnout. But not just burnout, we're talking about over-functioning, perfectionism, people-pleasing, imposter syndrome. So if you are on a path where you feel like you might know deep down, this pace that you're going on, it's not sustainable, but you're not quite sure how to make those changes. This is exactly the right episode for you. How do you know if you're in a season or a lifestyle? So you are going to want to lean all the way in because we're going to give you some immediate and practical tools to help you right away. And my guest today, she could be one of the gutsiest physicians I have ever known. Her name is Dr. Kara Pepper. She is a primary care physician for adults, and she is also an executive coach for high-achieving, exhausted perfectionists. She's a national speaker on burnout, and organizational wellness and the host of the podcast, It's Not Just You. What I'm incredibly impressed by is her work to boldly shine a light on the systemic, broken healthcare system and work environments, but also to pave a new way that is healthier for all. But before we get to our groundbreaking chat with Dr. Kara Pepper, it's time for the good stuff. What is stuff? It is the surprisingly true, useful, fun fact. And today's a funny one. Turns out laughter really is the best medicine. A new comprehensive review of several studies on the effects of humor therapy on patients with depression and anxiety suggests that incorporating comedy and laughter into treatment could be a powerful tool in mental health care. And some of the most effective, get this, is clown therapy and laughter yoga. I don't know about the clown therapy thing. What do you think? I think it might have the opposite effect for maybe some of the population, but isn't that interesting? But I want to make sure you get your laughs today. Here is a classic from the late, great Mitch Hedberg. I like rice. Rice is great when you're hungry and you want 2,000 of something. (laughs) All right. All right. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're we're wasting time. (laughs) I tried to walk into Target, but I missed. Now let's get to our chat with Dr. Kara Pepper. Welcome, Dr. Kara. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you specialize in the field of burnout, in perfectionism, eating disorders, all kinds of stuff that I've been guilty of all of. (laughs) And when I started talking to you, my whole brain lit up with, oh my God, it's everywhere. And you've done so much research. And I'm wondering, when you were growing up, obviously you are a physician, an internist. When you were growing up, What were you taught about your work ethic? 
work first, play later was the mantra. I grew up in the South, uh, hard work and loyalty and really honoring your word was a big deal in my family. My parents grew up poor and they made their way through life by working hard. So that certainly was passed down to us. And so this idea that productivity was rewarded with worth, with praise, with good grades, and with the potential for future happiness was absolutely part of of my growing up. But isn't that kind of normal of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, work hard? I think even from, I'm not sure how old you are, but I imagine your parents are probably in the baby boomer generation where there was a lot more scarcity, right? Like there was a lot more, you had to kind of ration, you had to hold on to things. And then as generations have passed, it's been something that is hard to shed. What did that look like for you? I know you had an epic burnout. Can we talk a little bit about your journey? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A brief version of that story is that I moved away from home when I was 13 because I wanted to be a professional ballet dancer. I moved to Russia and then came back to America to finish my training and begin a career. And so this obsessive workaholism and this idea that if I worked hard enough, I could be, quote, perfect, I could be excellent, um, was started at a real young age through dance. And then ultimately through some malnutrition-related injuries, I couldn't dance anymore and obviously went to med school because that's what people do, right? (laughs) So um, just continued those behaviors into my medical career. And anything that felt uncomfortable, I just figured if I just keep working, I can get through this. And so whenever I felt bad because I was in a rocky stage in my marriage or when my young children were misbehaving or when I felt like I wasn't good enough, I just knew I could turn to work as the thing that could make me feel better. And so that cycle of perfectionistic workaholism followed me into my career to a point where I just couldn't get out of bed anymore about seven years into my practice. So I was profoundly burned out and really it was my my wake up call to say, it's time for me to look at life in a different way. And I assure you that did not happen overnight. It took a lot of introspection over several years and trying things um, until I finally got it right. But burnout was absolutely the end result of working without boundaries for me. Isn't that interesting too? Because when I think of the medical profession specifically, the option to be imperfect is not allowed you don't want an imperfect surgeon, right? You don't want somebody who's like, ah, I'll try it again next time. And so there's an added layer of excellence that adds to the pressure of that. Like you work with a lot of physicians, you do coaching for physicians. And I was listening to your podcast. It's not just you. It is so good. It is so gripping where I was listening to... The one with Tracy with how she broke down crying when she had a big job Mm -hmm. to do and it it kind of marked her for the rest of her life. It changed her career. And why aren't we allowed to be human and why are our expectations so high on ourselves? Why is humanity not allowed? Yeah, I think there's a real difference between excellence and perfection of course, we want competence. We want excellence. We want people who are are always trying to get better at what they do. But there, 
I would argue that there is space for you to be excellent, even the top of your field, and also still be human. Being excellent does not mean you never make mistakes. In fact, that's the only way that we learn sometimes is by trying something and failing and and um, and getting back at it. And you are correct in that medicine, you don't want to try and fail when it comes to people's lives. And so there is this added expectation from patients and certainly from ourselves that we want to get it right every time, but that is um, not always possible. So it, it really is a fine balance between saying, I want to have this growth mindset. I want to get curious. I want to see what works and I want to comfort myself when things don't always go the way that I want them to. And that's the growth mindset part and the, and perfection, which is I will never, ever fail. I will never get anything wrong. I will never um, fall short because that is actually not possible because we're humans. We're not robots. Mm. So Here's what I noticed. I have my own story of epic burnout as well, where I just could not continue. My body was shutting down in certain ways or was yelling at me where it was like, I've got to do something else. And when I talk to a lot of high-performing women, the word burnout is really scary. And so if I mm -hmm. were to say, wow, you sound burned out, there's so much resistance to that label because when you label it burnt out, it means you're required to do something. And that doing something and making a change is so profound. What have you learned in this area? Yeah, I I will say to frame the conversation, burnout is an occupational problem, meaning it is a result of doing something past our own capacity without the ability to restore to the point that it makes us feel that our work doesn't matter, that we're not making a difference. It makes us not care about the work that we're doing, and it mm. leads to this emotional exhaustion. And so... I think a lot of the resistance that people have to the word burnout is that it places blame on the individual, especially for people who are used to being really successful. Like, man, I just, if I just tried harder, I wouldn't feel this burned out when in fact it's the opposite that needs to happen. When we're burned out, it means that something has gone really off the rails and what we need is to do less, not more. And for people who are really uncomfortable with rest or rest feels like failure or rest is not productive, um, it may be very hard to start unwinding some of those behaviors of overworking that got us to a place of burnout. So placing burnout squarely on the institutions that lead to burnout, the expectations that lead to burnout, I think is really helpful and it helps take some of the blame off of the individual so that the individual can get the help that they really need. So that part is hard right? Like my resistance that's coming up is if I blame the institution, then I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play the victim. And if I'm the only yeah. one that can control and I don't know that I want to blame the institution or I can, but it doesn't get me anywhere. And if I have a tough time resting, how do you even begin? Like, this is your world. This is what you coach. You, you still have a yeah. private practice, right? Like a telemedicine practice mm -hmm. where you're actively practicing. Yeah, I still see patients. Mm -hmm. But coaching as well. Coaching as well. Yes. Yes. So it's both, right? So in the world of high achieving women, I find that we take on so much we have this like hypertrophied responsibility. We're spinning all the plates all the time. We're carrying the mental load, the emotional exhaustion. And so you're right in that this, we are not a victim. 
it's worth at least saying, I'm not feeling burned out because I'm trying to meet expectations that were never achievable to begin with. That's the organization's piece. But the part that keeps us feeling like we are being victimized is that there are things that we can do as individuals, which is to really take a step back and say, what do I need right now? Like, how am I doing really? Not fine, not busy, but like, Mm. how am I really doing? Wow, I am so exhausted. I am soul tired. And I think actually, if you don't mind indulging me, just this idea of tiredness is like such, there's so many different ways you can be tired. It's not just, I need some more sleep and therefore I won't be tired. It's, am I so exhausted from caring for ailing parents and trying to take care of them and my children? Am I in that sandwich generation? Is this emotional exhaustion? Is this like spiritual fatigue? Am I just totally misaligned in the work that I'm doing? This is work that mattered to me at 30, but now at 45, this is not really where I'm meant to be. I need to kind of realign with my purpose. Is this like physical exhaustion? I'm just pulling all-nighters more than I'd like to admit. I'm working on the weekends and I'm just bone tired. Like what kind of tired is it? And then starting to unwind and look at some of that to say, what do I need to help start recovering? Because in a world that we're in, like we don't get paid to recover. We don't get paid to rest. We don't often have the time and space to do that. And so that is where our power is, is to say, this is what I need to keep going on my own terms in a way that's really meaningful for me. And that's also what starts to empower people to get out of this burnout cycle. Hey, it's Allison. Thanks for listening. If you are a mom who kicks ass at life, but accidentally might get your own ass kicked in the process, we need to talk. If you want someone in your corner helping you find more time and energy for what fills you up, go to allisonhair.com forward slash schedule and sign up for a free breakthrough call. Give yourself this time. You'll be so glad you did. This kind of leads into the conversation of setting boundaries. And Mm -hmm. so how much in your practice or in your coaching business do you see where it can be controlled or it's out of your control? In in other words, there's a lot on our plate, right? Like if I don't do it, nobody else will and nobody can do it as well as I mm-hmm. can. And so is there reality that is there margin where we may not see it? Yes. So there are certainly seasons in life. Like I think about moms of young children, like, listen, those are just like high touch years where there's just a lot of hands-on stuff that has to be done. I will push back a little bit on that point that I'm the only one who can do it. That certainly was a thought that absolutely led to my burnout. Like it's all on me. So where can we ask for help? I would encourage moms of really young children. Like those are such precious years and it feels like, you know, of course you want to do that, that, that child rearing and and the day in day out stuff. But like you don't get gold stars for cleaning your own toilets. You don't get gold stars for changing every single diaper. There are so many ways that we can ask for help if you have the privilege and the resources to be able to do, do that. And sometimes we just don't have the resources. It's just a real hard push time at work. And also you've got a kid who's sick and also your spouse is traveling. Sometimes those are seasons where everything truly is on your plate. So recognizing that and saying, this is a push season. And on the back end of that, I'm going to need some recovery. How can I ask for help? How can I rest? How can I unwind some of these responsibilities so I actually have time to recover? It's not all or nothing. It's not working 24 hours a day or laying on a beach. It's how can I integrate that white space in my day, week, month, so that I have the time to recover from 
the things that are really meaningful to me that require the work. I think that's a beautiful way to consider looking forward of recognizing that it's a season and kind of labeling it as so. So you know mm-hmm. that there is some kind of relief coming at some point and the reframe around if not me, that perfectionism comes back in again. Mm -hmm. And I know that you do a lot of work in speaking and organizational changes around around this very thing. Based on your research, what are you seeing out there? What does the data show around burnout, around perfectionism, around imposter syndrome, all of those things? So we know that 80% of high-achieving women struggle with this so-called imposter syndrome. Interestingly, it was first defined here in Atlanta. And so I'll just explain a little bit about how these things interact. So they all are this idea that if I'm feeling uncertain, if I'm not meeting my goals, if I'm not doing everything perfectly, then there's a problem with me. It's kind of this this trick that our brain uh, plays on us. And so so, so-called imposter syndrome is man, this thing feels new. I'm up for a new promotion. I'm in a new leadership position. I have a new job. I'm in a new social environment. I feel uncertain. Therefore, I must be the problem. Instead of looking at it and saying, of course, it feels uncertain. I've never done this before. I've never led this team before. I've never taken a step outside my comfort zone in this way. And so we we don't have to, again, getting back to power, we don't have to make that mean that we are broken or defective in some way. It means we are able to then say, how can I learn from this? How can I ask for help? How can I lean and leverage my sponsors or mentors to say, hey, hey, how can I prepare for this in a meaningful way? And so all of these ideas that our brain offers us, these suggestions, that kind of running narrative that's in the back of our heads of I'm not enough, or it has to be perfect in order for me to be enough, all of that is optional. And recognizing when our brain is starting to play those tricks on us is really where we start to unwind those totally unrealistic expectations that we set. And we're able to actually move forward in a more productive way without procrastinating, without people pleasing, without overworking. What I'm hearing too, is that there's a resistance to pain and discomfort. And so that kind of leads into control, right? So I'm afraid to go move forward. So kind of making myself small is easier than Mm -hmm. putting myself out there failing or it not happening. And then there's like the pressure of the comparison pressure of opening up social media that you're there just to have fun, but you feel like complete shit scrolling through and you're Mm -hmm. like, when did I turn into, you know, like I've, I've checked so many boxes and yet I still feel so small and I'm not where I should be at this age, at this whatever. How do you address that? I'll tell you about this woman. Her name's Bronnie Ware. She's an Australian hospice nurse. And she interviewed everyone on their deathbed, all of her patients, and asked them, what do you regret about your life? And she came up with a top 10 list of their regrets and published, actually, the top five regrets of the dying is the name of the article. And the number one regret that people had on their deathbed is that they were living a life that was not aligned with what mattered to them. I was living for other people's expectations. So if you think about all the things that we're doing, because we're seeing people on social media and we're doing the compare and despair, whether we chose a career because it's like what our parents wanted us to do and not necessarily what we wanted, whether we're staying in a career because it's what we think we should be doing, et cetera. So I wish I didn't live a life according to everyone else's expectations. And then the second top regret of the dying is that I work too much. 
And so no one on their deathbed says, I wish I just signed one more client. I wish I saw one more patient. I wish, I wish I just did one more whatever. And so I think when we look at our lives, particularly as women, as they approach this kind of like middle stage, you know, usually 40 ish, but that's really more 30 to 60 age bracket. If you knew that you're on your deathbed, looking back on today, literally right now in this moment, what is that thing you absolutely know in your bones that you've got to start or stop doing? It's usually that thing that made you throw up in your mouth a little bit. It's like that. It's like, I can't keep doing this. Or like, I desperately want to do that. And I feel so scared to start. I don't know how to do it. It's that thing. And so when we talk about how to really realign, it's it's this life that's not anyone else's life. If you let go of the idea that there's some right way that we should be living, that opens up tremendous permission and freedom to just decide on your own terms to live a life that you're not going to regret. And I've gone through this big career change personally in the past year where I was working for a traditional practice and then stepped out on my own, sorry, my own medical practice. And there are many reasons that I made that transition, but the number one was that I knew I would regret this exact season in my life if I didn't make those changes. Was it scary? Yeah. Was it hard? Sure. But do I regret living a life on my own terms? Literally never, right? I knew that I would regret overworking my way through my 40s and missing out on my children's childhood. So sometimes asking the future version of you, whether that person is on their deathbed or not, what do I need in five years? Like me at 50, what is she going to tell me about this season in my life right now? And I can listen to her because it's me. It's my own intuition. And that's a way to to start reframing some of the things that feel so sticky in our life right now. So this feels like an exercise in practice, right? Because Mm -hmm. as I'm thinking about this, I'm kind of layering in my own filter too. Like, first of all, you leaving a a traditional practice going out on your own, that's a ballsy move. It is a gutsy, ballsy, brave move. And you doing it, I'm sure required a lot of thought consideration. I'll be honest here. So yesterday was the 4th of July. Today is the 5th of July, if you're into math. Um, And so (laughs) math and calendars. And I just was feeling like shit. I was just feeling awful and I don't normally do it. It's probably a hormonal, but I'm at the pool with my kids and I barely had any energy or joy. And I kept thinking, this is the only time you've got with them today. And I eventually Mm -hmm. did, but there's so much going on in my head where my head understands all of this logically. So my question to you is, what is the most powerful way to either A, acknowledge, and maybe you need to step away and take a minute for you, and when is it time to push, but also what is the most practical way to get back in your body? And again, stop intellectualizing all this stuff you should do and then layering the shame and guilt on it. Like, I know I should be doing better. It is not just you at all. I mean, I think particularly for those of us women who are pushing and hashtag boss babing and all those things, like we live in our heads. You know, we're always thinking, we're always planning, we're always looking around the corner, trying to figure out what the next step is. Those behaviors make us look great on paper. They move things forward, but they are 
also like the, the secret underbelly of that is they help us avoid anything that feels uncomfortable. If I just stay busy, I don't have to be bored. If I just get more successful, I don't have to feel like a little unworthiness that I may be carrying around with me. If I just like get hyper successful and look great on paper, then I never have to like really reconcile who I am. Right. And so resting is not often our vocabulary and holding still is not in our vocabulary. And if you're someone that I was just like, no devices, I want you to sit quietly on this couch for five minutes with your eyes closed. If the thought of doing that makes you really uncomfortable, it does. <laughs> that's information. Mm. <laughs> that's information, right? Because we're living here. So the answer to your question is how do, how do people check in with themselves? It's baby steps, right? Like if work is your drug, rest feels like detox. Mm -hmm. It feels like shit because you're so not used to just being with yourself. And so the first step often is just how can we just pause for five seconds? How can we pause for 30 seconds? Instead of going back-to-back -back meetings, how can I book in just like five minutes for me to catch my breath without trying to shovel lunch and answer emails at the same time? So it's creating these spaces that can get larger and larger with time to be able to like literally do a body scan. If you've ever seen a CT scanner mm -hmm. where they like kind of scan through your whole body, it's like, how am I feeling? What do I need right now in this moment? <laughs> Most people will be like, I just feel bad. Okay. Well, like, can you be more specific? Actually, I'm just thirsty. Actually, I just need to <laughs> pee. I've been sitting at this computer desk for five <laughs> hours, right? Like what is the thing that you really need? And developing that language with yourself is how you become very articulate in knowing what you need in the future. So if you're like, I just know that I'm burned out at work and I just I can't do this anymore, but I don't really know what the next step is. Actually, the next step is to just get more comfortable with you. Your body knows what the answer is. Your body is screaming that. And sometimes our bodies scream it in terms of pain, in terms of exhaustion, in terms of things that don't feel good internally or digestion, for example. So the first step is always the smallest one. How can I start resting in longer and longer increments so I can just figure out what's going on with me? How can I check in with myself? It's funny because I have created my life to always be in motion. So I have a therapist. Mm -hmm. She lives nearby. We go on walks. I'm never stopping. Mm -hmm. And I often wonder, am I doing that because it feels productive to be in motion instead of sitting still? And I realized how much when you talked about at the beginning of our conversation about work feels like rest. Work feels like I can get myself back into center. I've always been a workaholic and that, that feels really, really good. And the only thing that has helped me is nature, is just being in nature, mm -hmm. but I'm in motion. Like I've done 12 hour walks, <laughs> you know what I mean? To kind of get right with myself. Would that be information in your professional opinion, Dr. Kara Pepper, <laughs> would that be information for me that I need to rest and stop moving? Yeah, I think probably the another way of framing that is just how is your nervous system doing? And so, you know, Zen is not magic, right? Mm. If you're someone who the thought of meditating makes you really, really uncomfortable, like, ugh, my brain is going to be haywire and I'm going to be thinking about all these things. It feels really uncomfortable. Like that's information. So it may be totally intolerable to hold still, but a moving meditation, walking helps kind of soothe your nervous system 
and allows your body to start to actually rest. So even though you may actually physically be moving your body, it may be the next tolerable step for you to get closer to your intuition, to your creativity, and to start like down-regulating that fight or flight response that we often live in. The things that most people find helpful to start soothing your nervous system, one is movement, right? Because it kind of burns off some of that pent up anxiety. Being outside in nature, like you mentioned, I mean, it is everything. It helps us Mm. really get out of that fight or flight place. Being with someone that you trust, that you can talk to. And particularly if touch feels safe for you, like a full body hug that's, you're not off balance, you're standing there and it feels like you're just being enveloped. It's kind of like how babies get wrapped up in those little burrito blankets. Mm -hmm. It's that same kind of like, and for people that touch is not safe, like a weighted blanket can be really helpful or being with a pet that you trust, you know, you're able to like connect in that way. And the two other ways are laughing and crying, like really having that full body belly laugh. Mm. I think that's why a lot of women exchange memes all day long because it is a way of communicating and connecting. And then really allowing yourself to cry, like having real feelings that you express in ways besides busyness. And all of those ways are like letting the pressure out of the pressure cooker, it's letting your nervous system start to settle. And when our nervous system settles, that's when our creative, intuitive, problem-solving brain actually comes to the surface. And that's when we're able to really get the answers that we're looking for. So I think you kind of told us the answer right at the very beginning that all of this starts with permission. All of it starts with permission to take 30 seconds, to take one minute, to take that five-minute buffer between your back-to-back meetings and not slam down food. I've I've been guilty of all of these, even now. Like I have more flexibility, but I have worked myself into quite a frenzy lately where I'm like, I need to down-regulate, like you said. Yeah. Is it permission? Is that what women need? I think, girl, I think we need a lot of things. <laughs> but what do we need? I think permission is one of those things. Well, we all need a lot of things offloaded our, from our plate for sure. And we need equality and equity. We need all kinds of um, social change. But I think mm. what we can give ourselves is the first step is really just being able to say, is it even safe for me to question? You know, I'm going to give myself permission to ask the question. Mm. I'm going to give myself permission to say, mm this is not okay. I'm going to give myself permission to be like, I feel terrible in this relationship. I'm going to just give myself permission to acknowledge the reality that I'm in. And that release sometimes starts the ball rolling to say, what is the thing that I actually need at this stage? And you know what? Sometimes the pain we know feels safer than the discomfort of something outside of our comfort zone. And some people are just like, I'd rather just stay here. You know, I don't want to totally disrupt my life right now. Like this feels safe, even though it feels really terrifying or awful. I think permission to just acknowledge that is also really helpful. And so it really comes back to just checking in with yourself and saying, what is real for me right now, instead of just staying perpetually busy and buffering with. That is so powerful. What do you know that you wish other people could know? I think the, the biggest revelation to me is that there is no such thing as perfect and that this is my life, the only one I think that I'm going to have. I kind of wish I believed in reincarnation sometimes, <laughs> but for all intents and purposes, this is my one chance to live a life that's designed for me. And that's my greatest wish for every woman who's listening is that they just get permission to create a life on their own terms because on their deathbed, they're not going to be like, well, I'm so glad that I like stayed in that job for an extra six months. Like they're going to say, this is the thing that really mattered. The people that I was with, 
how I made people feel, how other people made me feel. And I'm going to design a life around what really matters to me. So you have permission to do that. I'm stuck on this. Do you feel like life is, you said, I want to live a life that was designed for me. Do you feel like you design the life or that the life is designed for you and you have to answer the call? It's an interesting question because it kind of gets back to that powerlessness that you mentioned earlier. Victimization was the word Mm -hmm. that we used. Like, I think we get to make opportunities based on what life offers us, right? Everyone has different levels of privilege and exposure and environments and genetic lottery, all kinds of things that that are handed to them. But the power that we have is deciding how we're going to interact with that. I, I do think the power that we have is deciding how we want to show up. The only things we ever have control over is how we decide we want to show up in those situations, the hard ones, the easy ones, et cetera. So maybe you're given some sort of range of possibility or range of expectations, but your power is always, how do I want to engage? What decisions do I want to make around this? So I do think that you can design a life, at least within certain parameters, that is meaningful to you Hmm. on your own terms. Well, you are living proof of that. And I'm wondering, too, this podcast is called Late Learner. What Mm -hmm. have you recently learned that you were wrong about? Oh, God, so much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, where do I even begin? Okay, I would say that a lot of what I've learned is through trial and error, right? I've always been someone who likes to learn the hard way. So most of my learning is experiential in that way. I've also been in therapy for 14 years, and I've had a coach for four to five years. So I'm someone who likes the process of introspection. So the things that I've been wrong about are who I think I need to be, who I am, the things that I think I have control over, (laughs) which is, again, virtually nothing except for how I show up in this world. And for a lot of us, I think that feels really scary, right? Like if I can just control it, I can be okay. But there was a lot of liberation for me, like actually knowing that I have control over virtually little, like I don't have control over how my children behave. Like they're humans, they're going to show up how they are. I don't have control over what my boss says when I show up at work. Like all I have control over is how I show up. It actually was really liberating for me because it just gave me permission to own what I was in charge of and let go of the rest. Mm. Actually, it was very, very helpful. So I was wrong about the th- the fact that I thought I could control the world around me. I think it comes back to control too. How much we want, mm-hmm. especially when you have high performing women, you want to control everything, the amount of pain that you're willing to tolerate, the amount of discomfort, mm-hmm. the amount of challenge, the amount of ego, the amount of prestige status, the amount, there's so much with it. I, I think that's really brilliant. So Dr. Kara Pepper How do people work with you? How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks. I'm very easy to find if you can remember (laughs) my name. So it's Kara with a K, Kara Pepper, MD. That's my website. You can find me on social media. I talk a lot about (laughs) these topics that we've talked about, perfectionism, imposterism, overworking, creating um, social change and, and cultural change within organizations. Yeah. So if eating disorders, throw them in eating disorder (laughs) care. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, you know, from a clinical standpoint, I take care of patients all across the Southeast, all adults, but especially folks struggling with eating disorders. And then, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's women who want to kind of give themselves permission to create a life on their own terms. People who are going through 
job transition, people who want to rediscover who they really are. I love coaching around that because I think when women are well, we change the world. Hmm. Powerful. Well, thank you so much. It was so great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Big thank you to Dr. Kara Pepper for the work you are doing in this world, as well as sharing your wisdom and experience with us. I've linked all of her info in the show notes. And also for you, I've got something super exciting and special for you too. If you're in a space where you are ready to shake things up, maybe you're bored with your routines, even though you're so busy, maybe you're freaking exhausted and not sure how to get out. I want you to download my new month of miracles for free. It's 31 ideas to help you live a complete month filled with miracles. You're going to feel amazing immediately. And the more opportunities you give yourself to kind of be in that space where you're feeling good, you get to do it all month long and open up a whole world of possibilities by doing this. It's a month of miracles. So you are not going to want to miss it. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash miracles. And if you're like, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I want someone riding along with me. I want someone who cares about my goals as much as I do and can help hold me accountable because I want to do something big. You may not even be sure what it is yet, but you want somebody to kind of help you along this journey. I invite you to schedule a free breakthrough call with me. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash schedule. And I've linked all the info in the show notes. And as always, I appreciate you coming along this journey with me. It's deep, it's raw, it's emotional, it's real. I am so grateful for your ears today. And I can't wait until the next time when we talk again. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the socials.